From the heart of our nation's capital, here's Family Research Council President Tony Perkins. Well, good afternoon, everyone, and welcome to Washington Watch. It's good to be back behind the microphone here in Washington after a week in Sudan. I'll talk more about that later. But first, breaking news out of Israel within the last hour. It now appears the third time is a charm for embattled Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu. Exit polling shows Israel's longest-serving prime minister has won enough seats to assemble a coalition government which he had failed to do in the previous two elections in the last year. Did President Trump's deal of the century put Netanyahu over the top? I'll ask CBN's Middle East Bureau Chief Chris Mitchell, who will join us in just a moment live from Jerusalem. Speaking of elections, Joe Biden emerged as a decisive winner in this weekend's contest in South Carolina, with Mayor Pete and his husband dropping out along with Amy Klobuchar and Tom Steyer. But tomorrow is Super Tuesday with the delegates from 14 states up up for grabs. And Michael Bloomberg has set a record in campaign spending. So what can we expect? Chris Wilson, CEO of WPA Intelligence, is here. All eyes will be on the Supreme Court this week as they take up an abortion case from Louisiana on Wednesday. I'll be in the courtroom for that hearing. We'll talk more about that case this week, but the court also agreed at the end of last week to take up what could be another very important religious freedom case out of Pennsylvania. Congressman Mike Kelly, who represents the 16th district of the Keystone State, is here with the details. And a very busy weekend in international developments, the U.S. reached a peace deal with the Taliban. Also, Iraqi Prime Minister-designate Mohammed Alavi announced last night he was unable to put together a coalition government and is withdrawing his candidacy. Our own Lieutenant General Jerry Boykin joins me on those stories. And I'll talk a little bit about my trip to Sudan, where I met with Prime Minister Hamdok and members of his cabinet on religious liberty issues. And speaking of religious liberty, a shocking Washington Post story today reveals how a major U.S. brand is using what appears to be forced labor from Uyghurs in Chinese factories. Which U.S. company? Travis Weber is here to name names. The website, TonyPerkins.com. If you're on Twitter, it is at T. Perkins. All right, just within the last hour, exit polling, now revealing that Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu, on his third attempt, has succeeded in putting together enough seats to have a coalition government. Joining us now from Jerusalem is Chris Mitchell, the Middle East Bureau Chief for CBN. Chris, welcome to Washington Watch. Hey, Tony, great to be back with you again. Big news out of Israel tonight. Very much so. And, and, and Tony, let me tell you, I'm actually not in Jerusalem right now. I'm in Tel Aviv at Likud headquarters. Uh, I'm actually in the lobby right now. If I went into the uh, main convention hall, it'd be too loud for you to hear me or me to hear you. Uh, We're expecting Benjamin Netanyahu in about 45 minutes. And you're right, this is a historic victory for uh, Netanyahu. Uh, Just a few weeks ago, maybe even a few days ago, I don't think many people expected this kind of victory. And uh, let me just caution, too, politically, right now it looks like the exit polls are saying 60 seats. But given the momentum right now and the fact that he really has many more seats than the second political party called the Blue and White, uh, it looks very likely that he'll be able to form that government, either by the, the remaining votes that will come in, that uh, includes many of the soldiers, 
leaning right and leaning Netanyahu, many people expect, and or people from other political parties will say, listen, uh, this is a, a decisive victory, and right now we want to uh, join the Netanyahu government, and we don't want to see uh, uh, Israelis go to elections for the fourth time. So uh, a huge night for, uh, for Benjamin Netanyahu politically and, uh, and for Israel uh, as well. Well, and since December of 2018, we've the government's kind of been in a maintenance position. There are some big issues facing Israel that need a, a prime minister decisive uh, and being able to make decisions with uh, with control of the government. Is that a fact? Exactly. Oh, for sure. And, and one of the main things that you already mentioned, uh, Tony, was the uh, peace proposal by the Trump administration. And uh, if you don't have a working government, and a prime minister that can make decisions, uh, then then that kind of peace proposal is, would just linger. So now, uh, given the fact that Netanyahu and President Trump uh, uh, un- uh, both together unveiled that plan, it looks like those particular instruments or, or proposals can go forward. One of the main things, or perhaps two, the two of the main things, would be the possibility of annexing the Jordan Valley, that buffer between uh, on uh, Israel's eastern border and parts of Judea and Samaria. Those are two things that are on the table. If he can form a government pretty soon, uh, looks like those things might be on their way to being implemented. Well, Chris Mitchell, obviously a, a government is needed to advance that. But let me ask you this question. Did that proposal put forward the deal of the century by the Trump administration? Was that a factor, do you think, in the outcome of this election? Yeah, I do. I do think, Tony, it was a factor because I think a lot of the people in Judea and Samaria or perhaps in the Jordan Valley, uh, actually in the last election, a lot of them didn't go to the polls. Uh, I think there was an estimate of maybe 200,000 people in, uh, in that part of Israel that didn't vote. And uh, and actually, so I think that particular plan was was a factor in then coming to the polls uh, this time. And also, uh, Tony, uh, people are saying already that Benjamin Netanyahu really out-campaigned his main challenger, uh, Benny Gantz. They, they, uh, they, meaning the Likud party, recognized and identified about 300,000 Likud voters that didn't vote last September. And they targeted them, and they said, listen, come out, and really that seems to be the margin of victory. It doesn't have to be a lot here in Israel. I mean, maybe five or six uh, seats, but that shift seems to have happened, and that, I think, is uh, those are the couple of the main factors that really have seemed to have pushed Netanyahu to victory tonight. Yeah, early numbers suggest that uh, this is the largest turnout in over a decade. Exactly, yeah. Since, uh, in fact, some people were saying back since 1999, uh, so really, it seems like Likud and Netanyahu were able to get people out uh, who didn't vote the first time. And I think there might have been a, a bit of uh, uh, momentum or motivation on Israelis that, listen, we don't want to go to do this a fourth time. There really was uh, voter motivation in the terms of let's not let's not do this one more time. It's sort of like a electoral groundhog day uh, here in Israel. So I think that was a factor as well. And uh, and now, uh, you know, uh, this is going to change a lot of things going forward. The, the relationship between the United States and Israel, between Benjamin Netanyahu and President Trump, probably the strongest relationship ever in U.S. Israel history, can probably go on right now. Uh, you know, there was uh, concern here among some people that the relationship between a blue and white victory 
with maybe even Democratic uh, presidential candidates was going to be harmful to Israel. But uh, but it looks like right now that uh, the relationship between the White House here in Israel uh, with uh, Benjamin Netanyahu will will continue. All right, uh, Chris Mitchell, thanks so much for for joining us there from uh, Tel Aviv in Israel. And we'll let you get back in there to uh, covering the celebration. Thanks, Tony. Great to be with you. All right, uh, Chris Mitchell, Middle East Bureau Chief for uh, CBN. Of course, this may be now uh, what's needed for the uh, peace plan to go forward. As we've described before, uh, this plan allows Israel to begin to take steps, as uh, Chris mentioned, areas in Samaria Samaria and Judea, taking that uh, and moving forward with it. So uh, we'll be uh, looking at that uh, in the days ahead. But speaking of elections, analysis of the South Carolina primary results and what they mean for Tuesday and the Democratic presidential race. What does it mean? Well, uh, Joe Biden, the decisive winner coming out of this weekend's contest in South Carolina. Three candidates dropping out, but... Michael Bloomberg spending a record amount of money going into Super Tuesday, which is tomorrow. What might we expect? Joining us now with uh, insight is uh, our good friend Chris Wilson, CEO of WPA Intelligence. Chris, welcome to Washington Watch. You bet, Tony. Thanks for having me back. All right. So, uh, what do we expect tomorrow? Was was Saturday a big shakeup, or was it anticipated that Joe Biden would walk away with South Carolina? You know, it, it was a shakeup, and it's a shakeup for a few reasons, Tony. And, and what's interesting about it is uh, we won't know what the impact is because there won't be any reliable polling done between Sunday and tomorrow, Super Tuesday, or Saturday, sorry. But, I mean, you know, really, we knew the results late Saturday or early Sunday morning. And it was um, it was a big win, not just in the fact that Biden won. I mean, if Biden had lost, he would have been the Jeb Bush of this cycle, and he would have had to drop out after South Carolina. There's no question right. about that. Right. But it was a, it was a margin of which he won, Tony. That I think it shocked everybody. And if you looked at, I, I actually um, spoke down at the Club for Growth on Saturday. I was telling them if you uh, if you combined all of Biden's polling, or I'm sorry, Sanders' polling, all the polling in the Democratic primary, if you look at states, southern states, Sanders had a 20 point lead. If you looked at non southern states, he had a 27 point lead. So that gives you an idea of how big of a lead Sanders had going into uh, South Carolina. Now, the question is how much is Biden's win and sort of a, a resurrection of his campaign going to have? And then what about now that we had Buttigieg drop out yesterday and then Amy Klobuchar drops out today and apparently she's going to be endorsing Biden? My bet is Buttigieg probably does too. And so you've got all these different events, and what does that do to consolidate Democrat establishment support behind Joe Biden? And I think it's going to be substantial. It is. The real question, I think, on Tuesday at this point is how much of a delegate lead Bernie Sanders builds, because there's a difference between him coming out of Tuesday with a 100-delegate advantage and him coming out with a 200-delegate advantage. And if Biden is able to keep it close now, he has large states like Georgia and Florida, which could be strong for him coming up, and he could very quickly take say, over uh, the lead from Sanders and uh, be into uh, to, and be able to build a winning coalition. And the other question then is what other candidates drop out after Tuesday, because the closer Biden gets following Tuesday with a head-to-head against Sanders, the better it is to him to win a delegate plurality or have a delegate count be close enough to justify uh, winning a contested convention. 
14 states up for grabs tomorrow. And as you mentioned, the time frame between Saturday's outcome and tomorrow is very limited. Uh, we're not going to be able to do the polling, and the word is a little slow to spread. So certainly there's going to be yeah. a bump for him. But you've had Bloomberg spending millions uh, in these uh, 14 states going into this election. What kind of factor is that going to play? Well, it's tough to say because you look at I mean, there's really two factors here. Bloomberg seems to be training himself into an anti-Sanders, a one-man anti-Bernie Sanders super PAC. So in that situation, he's kind of going after Sanders. His Sanders ideology is clearly an anathema to, to uh, who he is. Uh, Michael Bloomberg is a billionaire. But really, just about every vote that casts for Bloomberg probably comes out of Biden. And it's not direct. I mean, it, it, it is. In fact, the polling shows that um, – uh, close to 50-50, but I think in practice it ends up coming out of Biden because those are more moderate, centrist, anti-Sanders voters. And let's face it, uh, Tony, we are, have gone through elections like this before. We know a movement when we see one, and that's what Sanders has. He defines yeah. it as a revolution, but it's a movement on the left, the, the socialist left, and those are people who aren't going to vote for anybody besides Bernie Sanders. Right. So you have a Sanders vote and a non-Sanders vote, and that's it's the non-Sanders voters getting split. Well, it's uh, fewer men and women standing, so it's uh, easier for the Democrats to make a decision. Let's see which way they go. Chris Wilson, thanks so much for uh, joining us. Anytime. All right. uh, Chris Wilson with WPA Intelligence. Uh, Tomorrow's outcome will be uh, very interesting. The the choice is clear. I mean, of course, you've got a a liberal and an ultra-liberal socialist in Bloomberg, somewhere in the middle. All right, coming up, the Supreme Court announcing it's going to take a major case out of Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, a religious liberty case. Congressman Mike Kelly is here next with the details. Don't go away. In the U.S., the rate of chemical abortions is at an all-time high. This increase is being driven by the abortion industry, which wants abortion pills available through the pharmacy and the mail, making do-it-yourself abortions the future of the abortion industry. Abortion advocates once claimed that legal abortion would prevent back-alley abortions, but the health complications that often result from chemical abortion are eerily similar to those of back-alley abortions. For more information, visit frc.org slash chemicalabortion. China has become one of the most totalitarian states in human history. The Chinese Communist Party restricts religious practice and oppresses religious minorities on a sweeping scale, targeting those of every faith. The Chinese Communist Party's consistent abuses of human rights prove that it cannot be treated just like any other country. The United States must address these violations in their trade and diplomatic dealings with China. For more information about the human rights crisis in China, visit frc.org China. What are you reading this winter? Looking for timely and original commentary on human dignity, marriage, and religious liberty? We've got you covered at frcblog.com. The content on our blog is written by our policy experts, FRC staff, as well as outside contributors. Read about a wide variety of topics like crimes in the criminal state of China, how Game of Thrones mainstreams sexual exploitation, transgender regret, the rise of the detransitioners, and many more. Stand for truth by staying informed at frcblog.com. What other trip to Israel can you take that combines walking where Jesus walked with meeting today's Israeli leaders? This is Tony Perkins, President of Family Research Council, inviting you to spend an incredible nine days in Israel with me, General Jerry Boykin, and former Congresswoman Michelle Bachman from June the 2nd through the 12th. 
You'll discover the roots of your faith and learn from experts about the geopolitical landscape of the region. For more information, visit TonyPerkins.com or call 844-872-5155. We all need to be lectured sometimes. Welcome back to Washington Watch. I'm your host, Tony Perkins. Glad to have you with us on this Monday afternoon. All right, the Trump administration has made this an issue. The president himself at last year's prayer breakfast, National Prayer Breakfast, spoke to this issue. My next guest has spoken to the issue, saying Philadelphia's attempt to force these organizations to choose between operating according to their faith and closing is an assault on the First Amendment's guarantee of religious liberty and an unnecessary threat to the well-being of our, our kids. And now the Supreme Court is going to speak to it, saying they're going to take up what could be a landmark religious liberty case. What is it? Well, joining me now to explain is Congressman Mike Kelly of the 16th District of Pennsylvania. Congressman, welcome back to Washington Watch. Oh, thanks so much, Tony. I appreciate it. Uh, this is an issue you have spoken to consistently in each Congress, introducing legislation to address it. Now the court is going to take it up. Tell our listeners what it is. Yeah, and, you know, we introduced uh, something called the Child Welfare uh, uh, Provider Inclusion Act back in 2015. But what it is, basically, Tony, is the lesbian, bisexual, gay, transgender, questioning identity or queer community plus has made a big issue about the faith-based community which is the beginning of all of foster care and adoptive care, no longer being able to receive funds or being able to operate in some areas of the country. Uh, Philadelphia was one of these areas that people said, look, if you don't believe in accepting everybody uh, in that, we're going to exclude you. And if the issue is about taking care of children, it should never be about the LGBTQ uh, community. It should be more about children who need to have foster care and, and, uh, and adoptive care. Uh, it's... Uh, I, I'm so glad. I'm so glad that the Supreme Court decided to take this up. I mean, we've been fighting for this for a long time, uh, and I and I just I would just tell our, our, our listeners, you know, you sit and you look at this, and this is the case where it's a reverse discrimination, and everything's fine as long as you agree with everything uh, these other folks would like to uh, to have you believe in. And what we say is, listen, people that have deeply held beliefs about uh, they want opposite sex members in, the, in a family to raise these children. And for people, by the way, who want to put their children up for adoption or up for foster care, knowing that they're going to go to a family that they choose the fam- uh, to uh, raise their child or to help raise their child. So no, the Supreme Court stepping in, uh, marvelous, couldn't, uh, couldn't agree more. Uh, we've been trying to get this on the floor of the House of Representatives, and we've always fought the fact that we just didn't have enough co-sponsors to get it out there. We've been fighting with, with the Child Welfare Provider Inclusion Act. And keep in mind, Tony, I want our, our listeners, this is called the Inclusion Act, not the Exclusion Act. Uh, the LBGTQ community would like to exclude the faith-based community from really taking care of children. And if it comes down to who we're taking care of, it's the children we're taking care of. We want to put them in a loving home where they have a mother and father of the opposite sex actually raising them. Uh, this is not to say in any way, Tony, and this is where the kicker comes in, we're not saying you should exclude any of these other adoptive services or foster care that do take the LGBTQ community into effect and say, that's fine, we'll, we'll let you participate too. This is why would you exclude the faith-based community, and that's really at the crux of the whole, uh, the whole problem that we look at and say, really, really, 
This is yeah. something that is a violation of our First Amendment. Congressman Kelly, you've been out there on this issue trying to get attention to it, and you've been very clear about this, and I want to make sure our listeners understand what we're talking about here. This is not about excluding anyone. What's happened is people have been excluded. They've been excluded because they have been operating faith-based organizations. Hear what I said, faith-based organizations operating according to their faith. They've been excluded because they believe a biblical definition of marriage and family about placing kids with moms and dads. Now, I can also go into the social science that shows that that is the best environment for kids to be placed into. But that, that aside... This does not exclude anyone. You don't, it's not keeping an agency that wants to focus on placing kids, as much as I would disagree with it, f- placing kids with uh, same-sex couples doesn't exclude them, doesn't say they can't do it. It just says that uh, entities, states, cities like Philadelphia can't exclude those who operate according to their faith. And you've made that very clear, Congressman. Yeah, and you know what? Uh, I mean, I guess it's like anything else. It's repetition, repetition, repetition. And what we put out there sometimes is ignored entirely. And as you just said, the Inclusion Act would absolutely have no effect on the the activities of other child welfare service providers, but it would protect faith-based agencies from being singled out for religious beliefs. So it's California, Massachusetts, Illinois, and, of course, the District of Columbia. Uh, where this is taking place right now and in Philadelphia, and we find it a great affront to our First Amendment rights. That there's nothing that flies in the face of, of, the, of the faith community and, and what they've done. And I, Tony, we say this all the time. Go back to day one. Who was it that was the most con- concerned that children had a loving home? And now we face this unusual, not unusual, it's gotten too great. There's 400,000 children waiting for foster care. There's 100,000 children waiting for a loving home. In our own family, my wife and I's family, my wife and I family, we have four adopted children. You would not know that they were adopted children at all. I have so many friends that have adopted children and, and have raised them. They're foster care people and have raised them. And for the life of me, I don't know why we're putting concerns of a certain group above the welfare of children. That doesn't make any sense to me at all. You're absolutely right, but that's what we see consistently with the agenda of that community. It has nothing to do with the children. It has to do with forced affirmation of uh, their selected lifestyle. And we've got to keep the focus on what is best for the children. Uh, One final question for you, Congressman Kelly. I mean, this really speaks to the issues of the court as well, because you're now going to have this go up to a court that, number one, chose to take the case, uh, but you have a conservative-leaning court, which could make this for a landmark religious liberty case. Absolutely, and, uh, and, and we're hoping that's what takes place right now. In fact, I, I try to get the Mass every morning. I have a 7 o'clock Mass here in, in D.C. that I go to. Uh, I don't think there's anything for any of us, the faith-based community, that looks at what's going on and say, you know, there's a time that you stand up. There's a time that you don't waver or quiver, but you stand up against the storm. And for this, this is a moment we have a chance to make the right decision for the right reasons. Well, Congressman Mike Kelly, thank you for leading the charge consistently to defend the First Amendment and the right of these faith-based organizations to operate. We appreciate it, and thanks for joining us today as well. Tony, thanks for everything you're doing. Really appreciate it. All right. Uh, Thanks so much. To find out more about uh, Congressman Kelly, go to the website, TonyPerkins.com, and follow the links over. All right, coming up next, after 19 years... A peace deal with the Taliban 
and the United States. What do we make of it? Lieutenant General Jerry Boykin is here next. This is Washington Watch. I'm your host, Tony Perkins. The website, TonyPerkins.com. If you happen to be on Twitter, it is uh, at T. Perkins. All right, after 19 years, the United States and the Taliban have finally come to a peace agreement. Secretary of State Mike Pompeo addressed the new peace deal on CBS's Face the Nation with host Margaret Brennan yesterday and explained what led to the agreement. President Trump has allowed us to take the fight to the Taliban these last two years, and we have done so. It's why they, for the first time, have announced that they're prepared to break with their historic ally, al-Qaeda, who they've worked with, to much to the de- detriment of the United States of America. You can see it. Go read the document. The Taliban have now made the break. They've said they will not permit terror to be thrust upon anyone, including the United States, from Afghanistan. What do we make of this peace deal? Joining me now to uh, talk more about it, our own Lieutenant General Jerry Boykin. General, welcome back to Washington Watch. Hey, thanks, Tony. I'm glad to be on with you. All right, General, so what do we make of this deal? Tony, we, uh, we I, first of all, I'm glad that the president is, uh, is really working hard to try and bring this 19-year war to an end. Um, but I don't believe that he or Mike Pompeo are under any illusions, and Mike has said that in his press conference very clearly, that uh, this is a process. Uh, in fact, today they had another incident with the Taliban killing some people and wounded some others. And uh, I think that uh, what we're going to see uh, coming going forward in this thing is I think you're going to see a lot of false starts. Uh, and I'm not at all confident that we'll ever actually reach an agreement that will allow us to withdraw all the U.S. forces, which is what this plan calls for over a 14-month period if uh, if we can see a total cessation of uh, violence by the Taliban. So I, I'm, I'm hopeful, but uh, quite frankly, I'm also skeptical. Well, last week, uh, General Mark Miley, chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff and former commander of U.S. forces in Afghanistan, uh, told a House committee that, quote, the whole thing is dependent upon conditions and dependent upon the Taliban behavior. So there's still a lot of questions in the air. How can we trust people who have been our enemy for so long and have acted in such a way that has taken so many lives in such a, um, you know, an egregious fashion? And they're 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 still governed by the same ideology that led them to this to begin with. Well, I think that's the key, Tony. Remember that when we went in there uh, right after the incident on 9/11, uh, it was the Taliban that was controlling all of Afghanistan, and they were the ones that were rounding women up and shooting them in the, you know the soccer fields, and they were would not allow any Western music and all of the things that. Uh, they consider to be part of Sharia or Islamic law. And it was a brutal, I mean, a brutal uh, regime there that was abusing the people of Afghanistan. So has their theology changed in this 19 years? You said it. No, that it hasn't. It's the same theology. Now, uh, the idea that they will break ranks with the uh, ISIS or with al-Qaeda specifically 
I think is uh, more than we should expect. Um, I, I just think that the Taliban uh, is just going to bide their time. You know, in 1973, in January of 73, Henry Kissinger closed a peace deal with the uh, North Vietnamese. And, uh, and I got to tell you, I was there at that time. And the last airplane had barely cleared the airspace of Vietnam when the when the North Vietnamese were making a big push down in to uh, take the South uh, Vietnam capital of Saigon. And then ultimately, within two years, uh, they controlled uh, all of Vietnam. And I, I don't want to see that happen here. I, I think that the president is doing a good thing in trying to bring this to an end. That, that's why he campaigned on it. But more importantly, the people in America want to see this thing end. But I think that... Uh, We've got the right guy at the helm of the State Department. Uh, I don't think that he is naive in any way, to, uh, and he has said it repeatedly in his uh, press conference that uh, we don't trust anyone. Uh, they're going to have to meet certain requirements. So I think we're going to see this drag out for quite a bit longer. But your your two points. One, you're absolutely right. That we we can't stay there forever, and the president campaigned on this, and he's getting us out. The second thing is, I think we have to understand that the definition of victory may be different in that region of the world that doesn't operate under the same definitions. You know, this is an area, Afghanistan has been a troubled nation for decades, and the, the idea of nation-state is a, is a, almost a foreign concept in that tribal land. And so th- th- that, th- that, that place is always being filled with, uh, you know, that, that void, that vacuum of leadership in that lawless place is being filled by someone. It's very key what you just said is that this is a this is a tribal environment, and, and think about this for a minute. You know the Taliban leadership, whoever they are, uh, can sign any kind of deal. But these uh, these tribal entities, uh, their first loyalty is to that tribe. So there's no guarantee that they are going to follow the directives or the commands of the Taliban leadership. And you saw that just today over there when the this attack killed and wounded people. Uh, General, I don't, I don't know if, if you can stick around. I want to ask you one question on Iraq. The prime minister designate there, unable to put together a coalition government, withdrawing his candidacy last night, leaving another unstable situation there in the Middle East. Can we talk about that next? Sure. All right, folks, don't go away. The general's going to uh, stick around. Then Travis Weber's going to be joining me. Uh, a major story out of uh, the Washington Post today on a U.S. company that's benefiting from forced labor in China. What company is it? Travis Weber has the name next here on Washington Watch. In the U.S., the rate of chemical abortions is at an all-time high. This increase is being driven by the abortion industry, which wants abortion pills available through the pharmacy and the mail, making do-it-yourself abortions the future of the abortion industry. Abortion advocates once claimed that legal abortion would prevent back-alley abortions, but the health complications that often result from chemical abortion are eerily similar to those of back-alley abortions. For more information, visit frc.org slash chemical abortion. China has become one of the most totalitarian states in human history. The Chinese Communist Party restricts religious practice and oppresses religious minorities on a sweeping scale, targeting those of every faith. 
The Chinese Communist Party's consistent abuses of human rights prove that it cannot be treated just like any other country. The United States must address these violations in their trade and diplomatic dealings with China. For more information about the human rights crisis in China, visit frc.org slash China. What are you reading this winter? Looking for timely and original commentary on human dignity, marriage, and religious liberty? We've got you covered at frcblog.com. The content on our blog is written by our policy experts, FRC staff, as well as outside contributors. Read about a wide variety of topics like crimes in the criminal state of China, how Game of Thrones mainstreams sexual exploitation, transgender regret, the rise of the detransitioners, and many more. Stand for truth by staying informed at frcblog.com. What other trip to Israel can you take that combines walking where Jesus walked with meeting today's Israeli leaders? This is Tony Perkins, President of Family Research Council, inviting you to spend an incredible nine days in Israel with me, General Jerry Boykin, and former Congresswoman Michelle Bachman from June the 2nd through the 12th. You'll discover the roots of your faith and learn from experts about the geopolitical landscape of the region. For more information, visit TonyPerkins.com or call 844-872-5155. Welcome back to Washington Watch. I'm Tony Perkins. Good to be back. I'm glad you're with us. The website, TonyPerkins.com. All right, uh, last night, Iraqi Prime Minister-designate Mohammed uh, Mohammed Alivi announced last night that he was unable to put together a coalition government and is withdrawing his candidacy. Now, uh, he was put forward as kind of a compromise candidate after the uprising of the citizens in Iraq right after, right before Christmas in December. A lot of unrest. Of course, we know Iran was in there. Uh, and so the prime minister designates uh, Alavi was put forward as kind of uh, this uh, consensus candidate, unable to put together a coalition government. He is withdrawing his name. Where does that leave us? Uh, and I throw that question to General Boykin. General, thanks for sticking around. So what does this mean now? Yeah, you know, Tony, uh, it's not unlike Afghanistan and, and, and that it is also a tribal society. And sectarian violence, uh, sectarian fighting has been a major problem there for centuries. And uh, I think that we, the worst case is we could see um, Iraq disintegrate back into the sectarian violence that uh, we've seen before. And remember, it's 60 percent Shia and really only 20% Sunni, and then you have the Kurds that make up the other 20%. So you could you could see a real nasty situation in there. Hopefully cooler heads will prevail, and they will come back together and offer a uh, compromise candidate or, or do something to uh, maintain the relative stability of that environment. Now, my observation is, is that... Uh... Alavi did not have the the support of the protesters. He was not their choice. And what we're seeing is quite fascinating, kind of like a second Arab Spring. But we're, we're seeing this. We've seen it in Lebanon. We, we actually in Sudan. I'll talk about that in just a moment, having been there this past week, is that the the people are throwing off these repressive regimes and. A lot of this comes from the information that they're getting out of the West. Technology is in, enabling this. We saw this in Iraq. We're seeing it in Iran. Uh, so I, I, part of this, what could make it different 
uh, unlike what I've seen in Afghanistan. What, what could make these situations different is I think the people are tired of the impoverishment that comes with repressive regimes. Well, I think it is. And we, you know, the corruption, you know, among government leaders is just an accepted part of their their culture. You know, they expect their politicians to, to, to some extent. But I think that the influence of the West and, the, as you said, the availability of information through so many sources now, not to mention, you know, not to forget social media has a major impact even in that part of the world. I think that they're coming to the point where they reject that. And I think what you saw when they were rising up against the government there was they were doing exactly what the Arab Spring did. They rejected the the, the ruling power, the ruling authority, because largely of corruption. And secondly, because it wasn't meeting their needs as the as the average citizen of Iraq and I think you I think you nailed it in terms of uh, what you see happening unfolding over there right now. Well, hopefully this time our government will stand on the right side of uh, these um, citizen disputes with their government, unlike what happened in the last Arab Spring. General, thanks so much for uh, for joining us. Thank you, Tony. Good to be with you. All right, General Jerry Boykin. Um, I, I want to talk here in just a moment about my trip uh, to Sudan. Very in, in, enlightening. I met with the Prime Minister, Prime Minister Hamdok, and uh, members of his cabinet, but meeting with a lot of religious minorities. But first, I, I want to go to this, this, this story out of the Washington Post. Um, we, we've known this, but this really unpacks it even further. The... Uyghur Muslims. We, we've talked about the Sinjan, the the, uh, the work camps, the detention camps, and what's happening there. Uh, upwards of possibly two million. Well, now they're being distributed across the country in uh, workforce development, and they're connected to products being made for U.S. companies. Joining me now to talk more about this, Travis Weber, Vice President of uh, Policy and Government Affairs here at the Family Research Council. All right, uh, uh, Travis, we, we've known some of this, but this is uh, this is pretty shocking in the detail that the Washington Post goes into in this story. It is. Uh, the story, I think, is eye-opening and well worth reading for anyone who cares about human rights and religious freedom around the world. I mean, I think as we'll talk about, Tony, the, um, the facts unpacked by uh, what's happening here. Um, just paint a picture of China seeking to control and exert authority over the construction of its culture uh, without regard for religious freedom and human rights, just demo- demolitioning any sort of autonomy and freedom that its people might have to live according to their own beliefs in China and, and seeking to construct that for the state's purposes and the state's purposes alone. Now, there are there are a number of U.S. companies that are involved in benefiting directly and indirectly from uh, th- these. I mean, even even the Washington Post uh, calls uh, forced. Uh, these are forced workers. Um, I mean, we, we, they're being shipped out across the country of China. They're not there of their own volition. They're not there because they wanted to get a job. They're being shipped there uh, to different parts of the country in groups of 50. But one in particular is a um, a factory that makes tennis shoes. Uh, In fact, uh, 8 million pairs a year of one particular U.S. brand. What is it? The brand is Nike. 
Nike. Nike. Now, is this the same uh, the same company that has been running around this country beating its chest about social justice? It sounds like the same company to me. What hypocrisy? Tony, this is hypocrisy. When you are going to stand up and proclaim to have a view on human rights and uh, civil rights for uh, the people, in this case, under your control and influence, um, you need to be consistent in that approach. This is, um, of course, this is typical of the left. I mean, they're not the only company on this list. You've got Apple uh, that is benefiting from, as I said, directly or indirectly. Some of these are, like, for instance, Nike. Uh, this is a plant that, I mean, they're, the, the story goes into how they're sewing on the, the emblems of the Nike shoes on uh, the shoes at this, uh, uh, this plant that has uh, in, in the workers there, I think uh, there's uh, 600 Uyghurs um, among the 7,000 workers. Now, they're kept separate from the other uh, Chinese workers in this plant. In fact, they have dormitories where they stay. And these are not your typical plants. They, have, they look more like, according to the description of the Washington Post folks, they look like prison camps. Tony, this this is a very shocking uh, situation that we see described in this article. I think, uh, you know, you look at the opening of the article, the city named uh, from which the report is 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 offered is, is Lai Shi, China. That's in northeast China. It's on the other end of the country from Xinjiang. So we might ask, what exactly are um, Uyghur Muslims whose home is in Xinjiang doing, working and supposedly living, we're expected to believe, uh, working and living in Laishi, China. The government would have us believe that they're offering these people a job as a matter of poverty alleviation, and it's a fitting a purported justification for the government, uh, its government's actions here, what the Chinese government is trying to do. But but in reality, um, the, the, the deeper motivation here is to deconstruct the Uyghur culture and freedom and human rights of these people to live uh, as they wish in Xinjiang and to fashion and form them along with its other religious minorities and citizens into the state's vision of what a good citizen is. This is a different governmental philosophy fundamentally from that of the United States and other free countries. It's important that people understand where this is coming from. Uh, that's what's going on here. Another example of abuse is steamrolling religious freedom, trying to fashion people into the vision of what the government dictates a good citizen should be. And being facilitated in partnership by U.S. companies. Uh, here, folks, I want to I want to do uh, I want to jump this real quick. I, I, I've got a poll question and, and I want you to weigh in on this because this is helpful for us to uh, to, to use when we talk about these U.S. companies like Nike and Apple. Knowing that Nike and other U.S. companies, which preach social justice here at home, are either aiding in or benefiting from the repression of religious minorities in China, will you stop doing business with those companies? All right, here, here's what I wanted you to do. Text the word radio. That's text radio to 53445. The number is 53445. Put the word radio in there. I'm going to send you this poll to take, and I'll, uh, I'll give the results on this. But this is, this is the height of hypocrisy of the left. You know, Nike, you know, going around, you know, with their holier-than-thou social justice um, 
whatever. It just is infuriating. These people are such hypocrites. They're they're anti-American. They're anti-Christian. And they want to pound their chest here in the United States and berate everyone else when they are benefiting from the imprisonment of religious minorities in China. And they've known this was brought to their attention over a year ago. Now, some companies trying to, to break from this, not Nike. Nike's trying to uh, explain it away and rationalize it. But this is not just one plant. There's multiple plants in China that is uh, that are connected to Nike. I think there's, a, there's like 30 plants or something. Tony, I, I do not have the exact number on the tip of my tongue. We'll, we'll have to dig into that. But, uh, you know, what, what you're noting here, <clears throat> I, I mean, Nike will try to say, you know, give a statement, we, we don't support uh, forced labor in our supply chains, et cetera, et cetera, and, and other companies will give similar statements here. But the reality, uh, as you noted, this has been brought, the, the, the risk of that this is occurring has been brought to their attention. It's not like this situation is not known. It's not like the Xinjiang situation, the treatment of Uyghurs is unknown. And it, it's certainly plausible you know, for people to be looking at this saying, well, you know, it, we can skate by on this because no one's really speaking up for the Uyghurs. Or the right. Uyghurs aren't going to be able to speak up for themselves. Right. So right. if they can't speak up for themselves, no one can speak up for them. But, well, we can skate by and make a buck. I mean, but that's the, but the, the ideology here of these American companies. You, you cannot isolate this ideology. Now, it's being manifested in China. There's 27 factories in nine Chinese provinces that used Uyghur workers. This is according to researchers that have been studying this, looking into it. They have hired through labor transfer programs from Xinjiang since 2017. The factories are owned by firms that feed into the supply chain of some of the world's best-known companies, including, as we talked about, Nike, Apple, Dell, Dell Computer, and Volkswagen. Uh, This is according to the report. and, and there's estimates that more than 80,000 Uyghurs were transferred into these factories across China between 2017 and 2019. So, folks, I, I want to hear from you. I text the word radio to 53445. That number again, 53445. 53445. Uh, text to radio. If you, if you can't catch that, go to the website, TonyPerkins.com. And... Um, I want to hear from you because these companies need to know. Knowing that Nike and other U.S. companies which preach this social justice message here at home are either aiding in or benefiting, at a minimum, from the repression of religious minorities in China, will you stop doing business with those companies? Will this affect your buying patterns? I certainly hope so. Because you're, you're facilitating, and it's not just, it, it, it's Uyghur Muslims and other religious minorities. Chinese, the China, Chinese Communist Party does not discriminate when it comes to religious groups. Uh, they go after Christians, they go after uh, the, the Uyghurs, the Falun Gong, uh, all these different groups. Uh, they, they are about the, the Communist Party. So let me hear from you. 53445, text the word radio, and we'll send you the poll. Tony, the report you were referring to is, is put out by the, um, the Australian Strategic Policy Institute, and that report does conservatively estimate that we have 
80,000 Uyghurs have been transferred. The government admits 100,000, quote, surplus laborers, unquote, have been transferred. What the government calls a surplus labor is really uh, some sort of human trafficking forced labor that we're noting Nike should be is on notice about and needs to handle. Uh, this is, as you know, a policy that stems from the Chinese government's approach to religious freedom. It's unacceptable. Corporations need to speak up against it. We need to speak up against it. And our governments, as they've been doing, continue to speak up against it. And we are out of time, and I am not going to be able to get to uh, my trip to Sudan. Um, I'll have to save that for uh, another day this week. It just returned this morning. Actually, I'm surprised I've been able to stay awake during the radio program. If you uh, heard dead air, it was because I was sleeping. Um, but a very, very uh, productive trip, meeting with government leaders and religious minorities and Islamic leaders as well about the issue of religious freedom in the country of Sudan. Very promising, actually. Again, the people rising up, pushing off a uh, 30-year dictatorship of uh, Bashir. Uh, now the question is, can they turn it around? We're going to uh, to see the government uh, wanting to put in place some reform efforts, but a lot to do. Um, the infrastructure there in Sudan in many, many ways is uh, is challenged. And again, after 30 years of this repressive regime, indoctrinating people from uh, the youngest ages on up. Anyway, I'll get to that later. Travis, thanks so much for joining us. Thank you. Folks, thank you for joining us. Until next time, I leave you with the encouraging words of the Apostle Paul, found in Ephesians 6, where he says you've done everything you could do when you've prayed, when you've prepared, and when you've taken your stand. By all means, keep standing. Washington Watch with Tony Perkins is brought to you by Family Research Council and is entirely listener-supported. Portions of the show discussing candidates are brought to you by Family Research Council Action. For more information on anything you've heard today or to find out how you can partner with us in our ongoing efforts to promote faith, family, and freedom, visit TonyPerkins.com. Also, to leave a comment about Washington Watch, call our watch line at 1-866-372-7234. 